0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Pastor Mark Beresford shares about how God gave us the ultimate gift of love through the birth of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. We're starting a new series. We're excited. We are Every Nation Canberra. We are here to honor God and make disciples. We just concluded our Unstrapped Money series last week, which a lot of you, I guess, enjoyed closer look at what the Bible says about money and we ended it with that. I was just going over the internet and I saw uh, an article about the highest paid woman CEO in Australia from Macquarie Group and you know how much she earned uh, financial year, last financial year? It says here uh, $18 million. So she was probably taking home a clean million dollars every month. So that's $250,000 a week. What would you do with that? (laughs) Buy some gifts. You know, gift giving is celebrated worldwide. Um, Billions of dollars actually. In fact, according to the study, more Australians will be spending money this Christmas. Billions of dollars are really spent on buying gifts, stuff for our family, our loved ones, and special people, right? But none of the gifts that we will receive or none of the gifts that you find on your Christmas trees and, you know, the gifts that you will receive or probably buy for someone will, will last forever. So we're starting our new series. It's called The First Gift. This will last for four weeks until uh, we do our get-together at Jeremy Pond. The first gift of Christmas was a gift, the greatest gift of all, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a simple gift given by a Father to all of us. He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that we will not just discover Jesus this season, but also embrace and celebrate Him. I'm very honored to have with us today someone who will be standing here and sharing a beautiful message about the gift of Jesus Christ. Well, Mark, Pastor Mark uh, and I, and Red over there, welcome to church. Uh, We normally have coffee at the cafe every week. And Mark has ministered in the Baptist, Anglican, and Independent churches, both in Canberra and Melbourne for the past 25 years. He's also been a school chaplain, over at Bergman Anglican School and some other schools, I suppose. I think Nathan and Aaron uh, knows him very well. He oversees the creative ministry of uh, mosaic congregations. He's a prolific songwriter and singer as well. You should hear him sing. He also loves to write about the gospel. He has a blog called Barefoot Follower, if you want to uh, check that out. And he spends his free time gardening, exercising, stargazing, and reading the Bible in his favorite cafe, which is Sunday in Canberra, of course. He's married to Katie. They have three children, 10 chickens, two dogs, and a rabbit. Uh, I hope they're still all alive. Let's give a big Every Nation Canberra welcome to Pastor Mark.
1: Well, I want to meet him. Thank you so much for having me here and what an extraordinary privilege to um, speak on the entry into your celebration of Christmas. I don't think I've ever known a congregation that has more to do over Christmas than yours, having seen everything that was going on there. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful. But this is a really special season. I guess you'd say there are two pinnacle celebrations in the Christian calendar. Christmas, this story of the coming of Christ into our world. God enfleshed. And of course, um, Easter. Uh, What God did while God was in the flesh among us. It's an incredible affirmation of our humanity. You know, the Bible does not start... With the story of how sinful you are. It starts with the story of how good what God created was. And you and I are the pinnacle of that. Before anything went wrong, God looked upon humanity and said, it is good. And when God looked on all that he had created, the whole sum of everything, including you, he said it is very good. Before anything went wrong. That's really significant, you know, because um, the early church debated and argued and split over the humanity of Christ. That was their big argument. Because some were saying... Jesus, if Jesus was really God, then he couldn't really be really human because there's something inherently bad about humanity. So Jesus couldn't come all the way down and so they draw paintings, they paint paintings of Jesus looking somewhat heavenly, not quite all the way down here, almost as though he floated on the ground while he was here because he couldn't come all the way down. That is not our story. Our story is that God came all the way down, was as vulnerable as a tiny, tiny little child, as dependent upon others as any other child. And in all of that, he did not become less, than God it is a wonderful wonderful story of how much God loves us this is a funny little passage just before I read it um, some of your Bibles if you um, open and have a look at this chapter some of your Bibles if you have a, a red letter edition um, I don't know that there's the, the, the original manuscripts were not red letter editions okay Um, so there's no uh, there's no classic distinction on whether something was said by Jesus or whether something is said by the narrator of the particular story in this case John Uh, some of your Bibles will as this translation does have this in quotation marks um, as though it's the last thing Jesus says in this conversation with Nicodemus Um, now just to be clear there is some debate on this okay the author of the gospel of john has a habit it would seem um, of telling a story and then summarizing what it means for us what the message is and personally and i'm really happy for this to be debated and don't hear me saying there's only one possibility or anything like this personally I think this is what's happening in this wonderfully famous summary of the gospel okay so personally I don't think it's Jesus saying this I think it's the the um, author of the gospel of John summarizing what the implications of his story of God's action in our world is so far okay so it's commentary okay doesn't mean it's any less biblical or less significant or anything like that. But the nature of what is being said here is important. What if this little passage that we have made so famous is actually a summary of what John has said so far? Be that as it may, don't get hung up on it. Um, But let's imagine it that way for today. If you want to imagine it differently... Please, um, I'm not suggesting that this is not debatable. But I am reading this as John pulling together the implications of the story he has been been telling so far in the first three chapters of the Gospel of John. And this is what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Not they were evil, their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I want to tell you a little story. I'm six years old. This means it's a very, very old story. I'm six years old, it's Christmas Day, I'm at my great-grandmother's house now. At the time, she would have been 96, 97. She would have been, she was in a nursing home. And the rest of my family had gathered at her home in Sydney to celebrate Christmas. The tree was out, all the presents were under it. To the eyes of a six-year-old, it was the most important day of the year, the pinnacle day. And my parents and my grandparents had bought me a combined present. And we all sat around the tree and mum picked up this present about this big and she brought it over to me and she gave it to me and said, Happy Christmas, Mark. And the whole family gathered around as I opened it. And inside was a smash-up derby set. Now, you need to understand that at six years old, I had seen this on the television advertised. I was absolutely captivated by it, but I knew it was, even then, I knew it was expensive. And it had not even crossed my mind that this would be a possibility for me ever to get one of these. Those of you who don't know how cool these are, these are cars, they're about this big, and all of the bits on the outside that you can see flying all over the place there, they all click onto it, onto the cars, and... You, you rev them up and you put them at different sides of the room and you let them go, and they smash into one another, and at that point, all the bits go everywhere. And it is, it is the, in the eyes of a six-year-old, this was the absolute ultimate thing to own. And I could not, I had not for a second imagined that it was a possibility that one of these would be mine. Not for a moment. I had not put this on a list. I had not made a request of my parents that I would really like a smash-up derby set. None of that had even occurred to me. And I remember distinctly holding this box in absolute awe that I had it. And walking around carrying it from person to person around that circle, um, thanking them ...for making this for me, for, for making this possible. And I kept looking, looking down at the box and looking up at them and saying, thank you, thank you. And I would look down the box and then I would go and thank people again. And it went on all day. You know, it was a complete, complete surprise. It was totally, totally out of the box. I had not even imagined that this was possible... And I want to suggest to you today that this is something that is going on in these first three chapters of the Gospel of John. It is, to the Jewish mind, absolutely unimaginable. One, that God would come into our world, two, that God would come in love and not revenge and three that God would come and suffer these ideas are completely out of the box they are unimaginable you can imagine as the gospel of John starts this wonderful story of how The word from the beginning that created everything is coming into the world. This is unimaginable. And even if you did grasp that idea, you would be terrified at the thought. And I'll throw it up again a little bit later in this sermon. But John throws out what I would call a dare. At the beginning of his gospel, he wants to throw the unimaginable in the reader's face. In, in the hope that it will intrigue you to go on reading and this is the unimaginable thing that he says the word that created everything became flesh and dwelt among us and the surprise the ultimate surprise of that he was full of grace and truth I love that combination i think it's extraordinary jesus is not coming into the world pretending everything is okay looking at you and saying i love you whatever's happened is all okay no, there is no problem he's not pretending this is one who comes into the world speaking absolute truth but before jesus is t- described as truthful In the gospel of John he is described as gracious and you know what I reckon that is an absolute dare for you to read on about this is someone saying we discovered as we walked with this guy as we experienced him as we saw what he did and we listened to his stories We began to say to ourselves, this is God in the flesh and he is loving, radically loving. And John is saying to you right at the beginning of this unfolding story, read on, because you too might just discover that God's primary stance towards you is not revenge. It is not a God who is upset with you. It is a God who desperately, desperately wants to save you. Is it any wonder they called it good news? Makes sense, doesn't it? this is the best news the very best news that what we would have expected god to do to us god doesn't do in fact he does the absolute opposite that this coming of god into our world is not something to be feared but to be embraced Because you are learning in this relationship with God, in this relationship with this Jesus who walked the world, you are learning what real love looks like. I want to celebrate the story of Nicodemus, which leads up to this summary statement, okay? Wonderful, wonderful story, radically unexpected Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Up to this point in John, there have been two signs that we are told about. The first is the changing of water into wine. I want you to hold on to that image as we read the rest of this because uh, water becomes a feature again in Jesus' teaching here. So that's one of the signs, this incredible miracle um, of of radical grace. It is crazy grace, actually. Um, Jesus tells um, his mum in that story it is not my time to do this sign, it's not my time to be displayed to the world. And out of grace for the shame that would come upon the family if they ran out of wine. Jesus changes his mind. (laughs) Is that love? Yes, yes. The other sign Jesus has done, of course, is just before this account. It is um, the clearing of the temple where Jesus walks in. And he says, he basically insists that, it's, that you have trashed the gift of the law that you have been given. And we're going to get back to the heart of God. Terribly, terribly controversial. And of course, the Jews or the Pharisees, they stood up and objected to this. They said, you know, tell us, tell us by what authority you are trashing our temple. Um... Nicodemus is one of those guys. He's one of those. So I I think it's quite unlikely, or I see no evidence in the Gospel, that um, Nicodemus was there at the changing of the water to the wine. Um, But I reckon there's a fair bit of evidence that Nicodemus was one of the guys in the temple that day who wants to find out what these signs mean. Very very humble man, remarkably humble, where everyone else wanted to fight Jesus um, from Nicodemus's peers. Um, he has chosen to come by night and he has started with the most incredible statement. We know you are from God because we've seen the signs. Quite likely. He has only seen the sign of, him, of Jesus stripping the temple. This is the sign that makes him want to come and find out more. Tell me more about who you are and what you are doing. And Jesus gives Nicodemus the most incredible compliment. I know we read it as a rebuke, but it is a radical, radical compliment. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a compliment because Nicodemus is there because he has seen the kingdom of God in Jesus. That's why he is there. He would not put it in this language, of course. Um, don't, get, don't get me wrong. He doesn't understand what, all that God has been doing in him. But he has turned up to find some kind of explanation for what he sees in this person of Jesus. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water, as we saw in the water and the wine and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's not bad is bad. That's flesh is flesh. Remember, this is the Jesus who came in flesh, the God in flesh. So don't read that as negative. That is just the way it is. What what is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, even though he doesn't know he's heard the sound, he has. And indeed, the wind of the Spirit has blown him into this conversation. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone like you, Nicodemus, who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be and jesus answered him are you the teacher of israel yet you do not understand these things truly i say to you we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony if i have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if i tell you heavenly things this is all a comment on where Jesus has come from, isn't it? I've seen these things. I come from heaven, is effectively he is saying. No one has ascended into heaven, and this is, this is a continuation of that. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a famous painting, Henry Osawa Tanner, um, Nicodemus Coming to Christ. I love this. um, I I really do love this painting. Um, It's it's so dark, it emphasises the hiddenness of this conversation that we've just read. Um, but the uh, the height of these two um, two people conversing. The old man Nicodemus is sitting on the ground at the feet of what we think would be the thirty year old Jesus. Uh, Israel's teacher is humble enough to sit at the feet of the Christ really on the, only on the strength of his destruction of the temple. And, and here he comes and he wants to know more. It's a wonderful posture for us to take before God, don't you think? We're not the arguers. We're not the ones with all the knowledge or all the insight. We're, we're taking the role of a student. It could have been remarkably difficult for someone like Nicodemus to take this place. Maybe he's seen something so remarkable in Jesus that it's not difficult. Who knows? But often our pride gets in the way of seeing and accepting the love of God. And I hope you, if that's the case for you, I hope you can hear this story well. Because there is no one so far in the un- uh, unfolding Gospel of John up to here, there is no one who has more reason to be proud than Nicodemus. Every Jewish male did his best so that he could become a rabbi. And Nicodemus is really a rabbi of rabbis. He's part of the inner circle of the highest echelons of Israel. And here he is taking this posture in order to hear, to digest, to make his own the story of what God is doing in Jesus, the story of God's radical love for the world. I shouldn't have started with this. I should have, should have done it here, shouldn't I? This incredible story, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I wonder if that helps you think through... Um, that summary statement at the end of Nicodemus. This pulling together of what has been said so far. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe or trust would have eternal life. God did not Come into the world to condemn. We had already condemned ourselves by the way we chose to walk from God and do life our own way. We, we had done that, not God. You have misunderstood Jesus if you think he came into the world to point to your sin. He all, we already knew that. That's why our default position is God is coming in revenge. And that's why this love is so hard to hear and requires such humility. Because we like to think we can dig ourselves out of our own holes rather than we need the radical love of another to lift us out. You guys heard of this guy, Reverend Tim Costello? Has anyone heard of him? He is, he is one of my greatest heroes. Uh, Tim Costello, uh, I lived in Melbourne for a little while, and he lived there at the same time, and um, I got to meet him. I, I've met him on a few occasions. Um, just before I got to Melbourne, he, had been, um, he was the Baptist minister of St Kilda Baptist Church in, in Melbourne. At the time of taking that church, was very well educated. He was, so he was um, a lawyer and then he had studied theology and then he'd gone over to Switzerland, Germany, over it, that way anyway. He had gone over there and he had done his Masters in Theology and he came back to Australia, which, you know, lots of of people might not have come back to Australia at that point. He chose to come back to Australia, but not only that, he took on this tiny, tiny little church in this less than desirable neighbourhood of St Kilda. And he worked with, um, I remember him describing um, his first Sunday there at that congregation about 12 old women um, in their early to late 80s. That was his entire congregation. And here he is with, you know, all this recognised potential. And um, he's gone and taken on, felt called to take on this, Tiny little congregation. And um, he worked with them, but they could only pay him a couple of days a week. So one of the other things he decided he would do is he would um, be a lawyer. And he went and he began to represent the prostitutes at St Kilda. And I will never forget him describing this one day, and it was a hinge day for him. It was, it was a really significant moment for him when he was talking with this prostitute on the streets of St Kilda and she spilt her guts to him, basically, um, told everything that was going on in her world. And he said, well, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? And her response was priceless and an absolute rebuke. of of the church you know what she said she said why would I go there I feel bad enough already you know what I think I think if someone comes in these doors and doesn't feel better about themselves doesn't feel more loved as a result of coming here and hearing this story, this good news, if that doesn't happen, then you probably need to go and revisit your understanding of the love of God. Because this, this story, God's action in our world, this is where we claim that we have learnt love from this one. And if our love looks more like anger at the things others have done wrong, we have not understood this. I know almost nothing about your church, (laughs) so don't hear this as, you know, me coming with inside knowledge or anything like that. But I've worked in churches for 25 years, and I do know that people will avoid this community because they feel condemned here rather than loved So maybe this Christmas you need to let these words, this summary of the gospel, sink in for you. It has changed millions of people across our globe to learn that God's stance towards us is love. Will it change you? Will it flow through you to those around you? This is our story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thank you. Thank you for everything you have done for us. For this extraordinary extraordinary encounter of our world with you and thank you that you didn't come from the stance that we deserved but you came from the stance that you hold and that is love towards us Lord may this reality penetrate our hearts this Christmas that we might be a good representation of your love for your world in Jesus name Amen
0: You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra For more messages like these or to access other resources please visit our website at encanberra.org. Like our page on Facebook at Facebook.com slash